Good morning and welcome to Peninsula Bible Church Cupertino. Our call to worship this morning is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God of hope and promise, we thank you for your faithful and failing love, a fierce and generous love that pursues us and never gives up. The depth of your love was demonstrated in the sacrifice of your son Jesus, who gave his life so that we could be set free from sin and death, so that we can truly live and live with you. This is amazing grace for sure. Thank you for your spirit who is our helper. And Father, we pray for our hurting world, for the countries torn apart by persecution and war. We pray for your peace. May there be help and refuge for the many who have lost their homes and loved ones. Father, we pray for those impacted by the recent events closer to home just this weekend. Be with those who are shaken, those who are hurting. We lift up those who are here today who are struggling. Would you comfort and care for them? Father, may they know you are with them. May they know that there is nothing that can separate them from your love. May those who are weary and burdened find rest in you. And Father, help us to care for one another. We love because you first loved us. Therefore, may we dwell in your love, mercy, and grace so that we can be light and love to those around us. May we be kind, compassionate, welcoming, inclusive, and gracious in our homes, at school, at work, and in our communities. We ask that you would be with Sean this morning as he teaches from your word. May it nourish our hearts and minds and light our path as we live for you. We pray things in the name of Jesus, amen. Now our scripture reading today is from Titus, chapter two, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Now I'd like to invite Sean to come up and teach us. Well, thank you, Denise, and good morning. Hope everyone's doing well in this uh, beautiful day. I think maybe the cold's behind us, hopefully. It's so warmer today. This is really good. We can have the doors open up here, right? Well, we are gathered here today to celebrate a wedding, a sacred celebration. We're here today to say a resounding amen to what God has done and is doing. For a covenant is being proclaimed today, a covenant that is a foundation for God's holy love to be experienced and displayed. Today, we celebrate Jesus as the great bridegroom, 
and we as his bride. Literally, a marriage made in heaven. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for these words from John, these amazing words that were written so long ago but still speak today. And now, as we look at these words, we ask that through your Spirit, you would make them come alive in our lives as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do return to our studies in the Gospel of John today. And we are gathered with his disciples in an upper room somewhere in downtown Jerusalem. And it's the night before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus has gathered his followers for for a meal and a final teaching. And what's the central theme of this final teaching? It's love. Love. In the upper room that night, Jesus offers the words of institution for communion, revealing this love that took him to the cross. Jesus then washes his disciples' feet, celebrating the love of service. Afterward, Jesus shares the new commandment. Love one another just as I have loved you. This is how people will know that you belong to Jesus. Through this just as Jesus kind of love. Today, we celebrate the love of marriage. Now, also from last week's text, it's important to remember that Jesus also said that he was going away. He was going away, he was leaving his disciples, and where he was going, they could not follow, at least not yet. He was returning to where he, from where he had come, he was, he was returning to his father. And today we hear more of the details of his comings and goings. So I invite you into our text today, John 14, 1 to 3. Here are these words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The word of the Lord. Well, Jesus begins here with a command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. The word troubled means to have inner turmoil or inner confusion. Jesus will repeat this command at the end of this chapter, but also adding the command, do not be afraid. Anxiety, fear, confusion, turmoil. Those words describe many in our world, don't they? Perhaps... They describe you today. Anxious, fearful, confused, troubled. If so, Jesus reveals here that he knows how you're feeling. He's just told his disciples that he was going away and that they could not follow him yet. So the fear of abandonment was rising up in their hearts, and he knew it. 
They've traveled with Jesus for three years. They've done everything with him for three years. They've become great friends with him. And so Jesus, the great cardiologist, wants to set his disciples' hearts at ease. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. And what's the remedy for an anxious, fearful, troubled heart? It's the rest of verse 1. Believe in God, believe also in Jesus. Trust God, trust Jesus. Even though Jesus is going away, they do not have to be fearful or afraid, and neither do you and neither do I. Trust him, and trust him especially with what he's about to tell them. So for the rest of this discourse, we get some of the most amazing promises in all of Scripture. And Jesus says, trust me on this. Throw the weight of your life upon these promises that I'm about to make. And it all begins with verses 2 and 3. Jesus says in these two verses, that although he is planning to go away physically, he promises to come back. And his going away is purposeful. It's not haphazard. It's not aimless. His absence, his physical absence, is purposeful. He's going away to prepare a place for them and us in his father's house. And then when everything is ready, he will return to take them and us to that place so that we may be with him. These are some of the most wonderful promises in all of Scripture. In Titus, what we read for our Scripture reading today, Paul calls this our blessed hope. This is our blessed hope. Jesus is going away physically to prepare a place for us, and when it is ready, he will come back and take us to be with him. These are, for me, these have been some of the most comforting words in the midst of a pandemic. For the last few months, they have sustained me as I've studied this text. I have felt troubled. I have felt fear. I have felt anxiety. After all, I live with teenagers. <laughs> but, I, but I know many of you are going through really tough times right now. And in the midst of these current struggles, it's good to know Jesus is preparing a place for us. And he will someday come back to take us to be with him. Now, if that was all the text meant, that would be awesome enough, I think. It would be enough to sustain us in this in-between time, between his first and second comings. But the truth is, there's a lot more to hear in Jesus' words. If we had first century Jewish ears, we would hear a whole lot more in these words. As with the rest of John, at one level, hearing Jesus' words on their own is wonderful enough. But... Adding the historical context behind the words makes his words come alive, at least for me. If you remember in the first 12 chapters of John, the context of the Jewish feasts lay behind most of what Jesus says and does. 
Here, in these words in, in John 14, the marriage customs of the first century lay behind Jesus' words. And when we hear these words in that context, we not only hear about Jesus' comings and goings, we also hear better the purpose of his comings and the implications for discipleship between his comings. So for the next few minutes, I want to explain the first century Jewish marriage customs. A Jewish marriage technically began long before the wedding day. A Jewish marriage began with what was called a betrothal ceremony, what we might call an engagement ceremony. But the betrothal ceremony was much more formal than our engagements because it had legal ramifications in the event the relationship fell through. So in a betrothal ceremony, a new covenant was established between the prospective bride and groom. And here's how it worked. To begin the process, the groom would leave his father's house and would travel with his best man to the bride's home. The groom would then meet with the bride's father and finalize all arrangements. In particular, the groom and father of the bride would settle on a purchase price. Sorry, ladies. Women were bought for the price back then. Now, as soon as this price was agreed upon, technically the marriage went into effect. Next, this new covenant of marriage was sealed by drinking a cup of wine. And over this cup of wine, a betrothal blessing was spoken. So imagine this scene. We are at the bride's father's house. The groom and father of the bride agree on a price, and then they exchange a cup of wine. And over this wine, the groom says this blessing to the bride. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And... I will come again, when I have prepared it, I will come again and take you to where I am, that you may be with me. Now after that blessing is said, the groom then leaves the bride's home and returns to the father's house. Typically he'd be gone for about a year, and during this time of separation, the bride prepares herself for the wedding, and the groom prepares an apartment in his father's house, where they will eventually live. Now, although the bride and groom did not live together or see each other during this betrothal period, they were legally and spiritually bound to each other. So binding is this betrothal covenant that if the man died during this time, the woman was considered a widow. And to break this betrothal agreement was the same as divorce. Now, we, have, we know an example of this, right? Mary and Joseph are an example of this. It is during the, this, the betrothal period that Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And this is why Joseph's first response was to divorce Mary quietly. She's obviously broken the covenant. She's not been faithful and it takes an angel to make Joseph believe what he wanted to believe, that she had not been unfaithful, but that the baby growing in her had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now at the end of the betrothal period then, the groom, 
dressed in festive attire and accompanied by his friends, would return to the bride's house. Now, although the bride and her family had a rough idea of when they would come, they did not know the day or the hour. And typically, the groom would would show up at night, adding to the anticipation and suspense. And upon his arrival, the shout would go up, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And with great joy, the bride veiled and accompanied by her maidens, would come out and join the groom and his friends. And the wedding would begin. Usually the wedding lasted seven days. I think we should bring that back. (laughs) And it began with a ceremony involving the verb take. The groom goes to the bride's home and takes her from her house, and thus the Hebrew expression, the man takes a wife. Now with that imagery in place, let's go back to the upper room. And let's reflect again on what has happened. As I said in the introduction, during this dinner in this upper room, the other Gospels tell us that Jesus takes bread and a cup of wine and gives it to his disciples, saying, this bread is my body for you, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He then washes his disciples' feet. After washing their feet, he tells them he's leaving. They cannot follow him yet. And then he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also." Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? First of all, about himself. Jesus is speaking as the great bridegroom. The bridegroom of the people of God. It's astonishing. It's one of the most audacious claims Jesus could have ever made. Because in the Old Testament, only God speaks this way. Isaiah 54, fear not, for you will not be ashamed, for your maker is your husband, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 62, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Hosea 2, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Jesus is the great bridegroom. Which of course means that we are his bride. His people are his bride. Jesus really thinks of us as his bride. We are called his disciples. We are called citizens of his kingdom. We are called sheep of his pasture. We are called members of his body. We are called his sisters and brothers. And we are also his bride. He has made the long journey from his father's house to our house. He has already finalized the arrangements with the Father. He has paid the purchase price for us, shedding his own blood. 
He has sealed the agreement by drinking a cup of wine, declaring this is the new covenant in my blood. He has given us an engagement ring, the Holy Spirit, the down payment for life in the Father's house. And he says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Trust me. I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, and when I am ready, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I love my children. I love my father and my mother. I love my mother-in-law. I sometimes love my father-in-law. <laughs> I don't have grandchildren yet, but I'm told when I have grandchildren, I'll love them a lot. Um, if I'm privileged to have grandchildren, I should have said it that way. But no one holds the place in my heart that my wife does. No one will ever hold the place in my heart that my wife does. We are the bride of the Father's only begotten Son. It's astonishing. Now John has been preparing us for this throughout his entire gospel. You realize that? Where does Jesus' public ministry begin? At a wedding in Cana in chapter 2. And how does John the Baptist, the preparer for the way of Jesus, refer to himself? As the friend of the bridegroom in chapter 3. And how about the woman at the well in chapter 4? That Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at a well. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know what happens to women at wells in the Old Testament. They find husbands. They become wives. Abraham's servant finds a wife for Isaac at a well. Jacob finds a wife at a well. Moses finds a wife at a well. Just like in Liberia, everyone gathers around the well. <laughs> In John chapter 4, Jesus meets this woman at a well. And through their conversation, we find out a lot about this woman. Especially, she doesn't currently have a husband. Well, now she does. Now she does. She is one of the first of all people to be his bride. John's been preparing us for this wonderful truth throughout his entire gospel that we are the bride of Christ. It's simply a wonderful truth. But what are some implications for today? How are we to think about this as we walk through our days today? So there are plenty of implications. I want to give you five today. First of all, the bride imagery speaks to the deep intimacy we have with our bridegroom, Jesus. Scripture affirms throughout that, the marriage, um, that marriage provides the closest link for humanity being joined together. 
And this is Paul's argument in, in Ephesians 5, where Paul returns to Genesis 2 as the basis for marriage. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the next verse, Paul then explains that this intimate link provides the model for the intimacy experienced between Christ and the church. And Paul completes his argument by calling this intimacy great because it's so profound and significant. So this image speaks to Jesus' desire for us to have deep intimacy with him. Secondly, the bride imagery speaks to the deep sense of security we have with Jesus. The bridegroom, has Jesus, has sealed this marriage certificate in his blood. He is committed to us, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, as long as we both shall live. And we're going to live a long time with him. This means that when the worst comes out in me, which happens a lot, I need not fear losing him. I don't need to fear losing him. He's already seen the worst in me. He saw it when he proposed, and he still proposed. While we were sinners, he died for us. So he's not going to be surprised with any wrinkles in me. And I'm, I have a lot of wrinkles, and more by the day. This means... He'll never discover something in me or you that will make him want to cancel the covenant. He'll never cancel the covenant. I'll never hear Jesus say, well, Sean, if I had known that about you, I'd have never proposed. <laughs> He'll never say that. He's the great lover. He chose us just as we are. And he's with us for better or worse. Thirdly, since we are his bride, we have great motivation to remain loyal to him. We don't want to be fooling around with other lords and other lovers. His great love keeps calling us to exclusive devotion to him. Now, his call is grounded, at least in part, in the reality that he knows every other lord Every other lover will let us down. Everyone. But his call is also grounded in the fact that he wants exclusive devotion to him. And so he pursues us. He pursues us in countless ways. For one thing, he pursues us through all the love letters found in here. He pursues us as the good shepherd, as Ian spoke about two weeks ago. He pursues us in the act of communion, as we remember his great sacrifice. And on and on it goes. He pursues us as a great lover. So when he comes, he doesn't want to find us in another lover's bed. So he calls us to loyalty. Fourthly, the bride imagery helps clarify our path of discipleship. Living out of this image helps us see the importance of creating space in our lives for him. As a bride, as his bride, we'll do whatever it takes to stay in love and to grow in intimacy with him. I think about when I first fell in love with Suzanne. 
I was working as an engineer, 12-hour days, two weekends a month. Somehow, I still made time for her. We would, we would go on long, talk, long walks, and we would have long talks, and long dinners. I had a lot of time for her. <laughs> That's what it means to be a bride. Reflecting on this image clarifies our path of discipleship. And finally, keeping this image in mind will keep us alive in longing for his second coming. When he will take us to be with him forever. Because when you're in love, you long for the presence of the beloved. After all, we're made for eternity. I think sometimes we forget that. Eternity has been placed in our hearts. I read an article recently called Two Minutes to Eternity. Maybe you've read that article. It articulates well the meaning of life. It was written by a father who had had two children die very young. One of them, named Toby, only lived two minutes. And after this father went through grieving and sorrow and darkness, he wrote this article. And he asked the question, why did God make Toby to live two minutes? Which opens up the question, why did God make any of us to live however long we're going to live? Why did he make me to live 50 years and counting? Why did he make you to live however old you are and counting? Why did he make any of us live as long as we're going to live? At the end of the article, this grieving father arrives at his answer, and it's not a cheap answer, right? It's not a cheap answer. This man and wife and his wife suffered terribly. And his answer is this, God didn't make any of us to live two minutes or 50 years or 80 years. God created Toby and all of us to live for eternity. And deep down, every part of our being knows it. Eternity has been placed in our hearts and so we long for his second coming when he will take us to be with him where he is forever and ever and will participate in the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation 19, I know you ladies have been studying Revelation. John speaks of the bride beautifully arrayed in her wedding garments being invited to a great feast with Jesus, the great bridegroom. This is what's in store for us. For those that trust him and his promises. Communion, which we will participate in in a moment, is the rehearsal dinner for that great feast. So this image, the bride image, stokes our longing for his return and our presence with him forever. Someone has said, those who love him best long for him the most. So Jesus says, don't, don't let your heart 
be troubled. Don't be afraid. I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, and when I am ready, I will come again, and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also forever and ever. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now receive this benediction from Isaiah and John. Don't be troubled, don't be afraid, for I am with you. I am your great bridegroom. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Though I have gone away physically, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. That's a promise, and you can trust me. Amen. Go in peace.